Hey, and thanks for taking the time to listen with us here at Gospel Way as we seek to find rest in Christ. Please know that this is supplemental and does not replace your local church or the pastor that God has given to shepherd your soul. But it is our prayer that God will use these resources to bless you and point you to Jesus. See, as we go through it, the main theme is reconciliation. So breaking this up into four different weeks, we want to look at the basis of reconciliation. That will be this week. Next week, the source of reconciliation. The next will be the cost of reconciliation. And then finally, the reach of reconciliation. So that will be the pieces that we find in the book of Philemon. But for the basis of reconciliation, we're going to look at verse 1 down through verse number 7 and see, in a sense, why Paul is writing what he's writing, to whom he's writing it, and how he lays the foundation for his plea to Philemon for reconciliation. So in verse number 1, we read, Paul, a prisoner of Jesus Christ, and Timothy, our brother, unto Philemon, our dearly beloved and fellow laborer, and to our beloved Aptha and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church in thy house, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God making mention of thee always in my prayers, hearing of thy love and faith which thou hast towards the Lord Jesus and towards all saints, that the communication of thy faith may be effectual by the acknowledging of every good thing which is in you in Christ Jesus. For we have great joy and consolation in thy love because the bowels of the saints are refreshed by thee, brother." So Paul finishes his greeting, his introduction, and we'll see some keys as we get into verse 6 and 7, but I want to make mention of some of the things that we're seeing in these first verses so we can kind of understand what's going on. And some of us probably know what Philemon is about, but the first thing that we see when we open this book and we see this letter begin to unfold, we see he writes Paul a prisoner of Jesus Christ. And if you understand why he's writing this book, it is fitting that Paul uses that introductory point by calling himself a prisoner, by calling him someone who is under the rule of someone else. But Paul says he's a prisoner of someone specific. Paul, many, many, many times throughout his journey after his conversion, found himself as prisoner. So he knew what it meant to be a prisoner. Paul did not, in this book, consider him to be a prisoner of Rome, although, to the best of our knowledge, Paul was actually imprisoned by Rome when he wrote this book. But when Paul looked at himself... And he was going to identify himself. He didn't say, Paul, the guy who has been locked up by Rome for preaching the gospel. 
He said, Paul, a prisoner of Jesus Christ. The religious leaders who were there in that time would have often started out their letters by talking about their legal troubles. And you find that in Acts chapter number 23 and Acts chapter number 24. They would open up by telling what they had been doing and what had happened to them. If you remember over to the book of James, James does something similar. James has the ability to say, James, the brother of Jesus, but he doesn't do that. He calls himself a servant. In that same way, Paul has the ability, and he does in some of his letters, to call himself an apostle, to call himself someone who has has gotten, again, become prisoner for what he has been doing in his efforts to spread the gospel, but he calls himself a prisoner of Jesus. One author wrote that he did not see the shackles that he had on himself as a chain to keep him bound, but he saw the shackles as something to keep him held to Christ. He saw his office as a saint, as being bound to someone who is better than him. And that will make sense as we start to get into verses 6 and 7. So Paul is seeing himself as a prisoner, and he is going to explain that the prison in which he finds himself is a good thing. So Paul does that here in verse number 1, and then he shifts and he says, Unto Philemon, our dearly beloved and fellow laborer. Now, one thing that is interesting about the book of Philemon is not what we find in the greeting of Paul's letter, but what we don't find. Paul wrote roughly 13 letters that we have compiled in the New Testament, and in nine of the 13, Paul calls himself an apostle. And the reason being is because he's writing nine of those 13 to the churches. He is stating who he is because he is writing letters to the church. He's showing his position or his office in the church. But when we come to the book of Philemon, we don't find himself calling himself an apostle. We find himself, again, calling himself a prisoner and emphasizing the person who he is writing to. And we find him writing to a man called Philemon. Verse number two, there are a few people that we find mentioned here, and I don't know whether or not I'm going to attempt to pronounce their names again, but the first one is most likely Philemon's wife. So he calls her, even in this verse, our beloved. And then we have this second character here who Paul calls a fellow soldier, and then he emphasizes to the church in your house. So this first person is most likely Philemon's wife, and it's important that Paul mentions her here for what he's getting ready to go over. Because in that Roman culture, in in the culture of that day, if you had people that were enslaved to you, typically your wife was the one that held the day-to-day responsibilities over those people. So if you had, say, you had a group of 10 people that you had 
as your slaves or as your bond servants, whatever the, the, the case may be, typically your wife would be the, the, for lack of a better term, the manager over that group of people. And that's important because she had a part in the decision-making of what was going to be asked of Philemon because it was her responsibility to look over this man that we're going to see as we come down through the text. We also see, again, his son mentioned here, who just an interesting note, if you were to look in Colossians chapter number 4 and verse number 17, you will find him mentioned again. He was actually the man who went on to be the pastor of the church at Laodicea. And Paul writes in his book to the Colossians a plea to him um, to continue. When we get toward the end of this book, there's another person in this letter that becomes a pastor of a church that you will recognize as well, but we'll get to that when we get to it. And then as we're continuing down through, Paul also says that he is sending greetings to the church that is in your house. And just a little bit more foundation, roughly until the roughly the third century, we don't necessarily find churches meeting in their own buildings. If you read down through the book of Acts, what you'll see is they would originally they would meet in the synagogue. They would come together where they would come together normally, but they were coming together on Sunday rather than on Saturday. So they were meeting together in the synagogue, and the book of Acts tells us they would leave there and they would go house to house. So they would leave there and then they would go to each other's houses and they would enjoy each other's fellowship and grow together in Christ. Eventually, as different things conspire, what happened was they started meeting in open areas and in houses. So what most likely has happened here is this specific church is meeting at the house of Philemon. And because he does have people who are enslaved to him, it is likely that Philemon had the housing to be able to house these groups of people. One interesting thing as I was studying down through and reading for this is the point that Charles Spurgeon makes about Paul specifically saying that there was a church in the house of Philemon. He says that the mere fact that the house of Philemon was a suitable place for a church would suggest to us that our homes ought to always reflect the church. He said that in our homes, we should consistently see family members and friends being converted. We should find each other worshiping together. There should be a bond of unity between one another. Everything that is needed within that household should be supplied by the other members. That teaching should always be present, and there should always be a heart in the house to minister to those that are without of the house. But that's what Philemon has here. He has a church that is meeting in his house. So moving or having moved down through those first 
two verses, Paul then again greets Philemon and says, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God making mention of thee always in my prayers. So Paul conveys again to Philemon that the grace of God has been bestowed to him and Paul is coming in that grace that has been bestowed. And he tells Philemon that he makes mention of him in his prayers. This is complete side note and really probably has nothing to do with this portion of the text. But Paul doesn't say that he has been praying really hard for Philemon, but he lets him know that he has mentioned him when he prays. And if we're honest, that's really all that it takes. As we've even looked at through the book of James, the call to one another is to mention, to keep in mind one another in our prayers. And when we do pray at times, it is praying in the presence of others. That's the one reason that public prayer is so important because what I say when I'm not around you to God is important, but you don't know what I'm saying. But when someone prays for you or prays in your presence, you are hearing the confidence in which that person is taking those things that you need prayed about to God. And that's why Paul tells Philemon that he makes mention of him in his prayers because Paul wanted him to know that. Paul wanted Philemon to be encouraged, to know that he had someone who was praying for him. But as we, again, we move down through some of this introductory, specifically in verse 5 and verse number 6, we are going to start to see the basis for reconciliation. So we've seen the introduction, but Paul is going to start to make a case before he actually makes a case for the introduction. And not to get too much into the coming weeks, but what Philemon has had happened is he has had a slave named Onesimus that has ran away from him. And at some point, this man named Onesimus is converted and runs into Paul. So Paul has this slave of Philemon in with him. His life has been changed and he is writing to Philemon to basically take Onesimus back and to put Onesimus' charges to his account. Again, we'll get into some of that as we move on, but I want to make sure that we have that in mind as we're looking into verses 5, 6, and 7 because he's laying the ground for the basis of this reconciliation. But before he even asks for Onesimus to be reconciled, Paul begins to lay a foundation for why Onesimus should be reconciled and why Philemon should be willing to do it. So if you look down at verse number five, you're going to see Paul make some very pointed statements. He says, hearing of thy love and faith, which thou hast towards the Lord Jesus and towards all saints. So what Paul is doing here, and, and hopefully you're following this with me, what Paul is doing here is he is telling Onesimus that I have heard of two things about you. 
Number one, I have heard of your love. Number two, I have heard of your faith. Now, if you were to take your Bibles and you would turn to the book of Galatians, where are you going to find those two words in the book of Galatians? In chapter number five, Paul writes, these are the fruit of the Spirit. So if Paul has heard that Philemon is showing love and faith, can someone tell me where Philemon got that love and faith? It didn't come from Philemon. It was produced by the Spirit. And this love and faith that was produced by the Spirit in Philemon was being displayed outside of Philemon. How do we know that? Because Paul had heard about the love and faith of Philemon. It was evident to those who were around him that Philemon had love and faith towards Jesus but that that love and faith towards Jesus had then produced in Philemon a love and faith towards all saints. And just like today, I promise you that Philemon did not like all the saints. I don't like all the saints. I'm sure some of you don't like all the saints. And Philemon did not, surely, like all the saints. But Paul says he had heard of his love and faith towards Jesus and towards all saints. Not just the ones that met with Philemon, not just the ones that Philemon liked, but he had heard of his love and faith toward all saints, which again emphasizes the fact that this wasn't from Philemon. This was in Philemon. And that's what God has done with us. God has placed in us a love for Christ and a love for others by the work of the Spirit. What does 1 John say to us? That we love because He first loved us. It is the love of God that has produced in us the love for others. Paul uses that and makes that the bedrock of this reconciliation that he's going to start asking Philemon about. <clears throat> so love and faith produced by the Spirit, when we hear the work of Christ, comes out of us to other people. So we have, and don't miss when I say this, we have Christ at the bottom. Christ is the foundation. And Paul does this in a lot of his letters, even in the book of Ephesians or not in the book of Ecclesiastes, it's actually the book of 1 Corinthians, chapter number 3, he says that he has laid the foundation which is Christ. So Paul has done this again in Philemon. He's laid the foundation which is Christ, and he's emphasized the product of this relationship, which is love and faith. But he says something here in verse number 6. He says that the communication of thy faith may be effectual, by the acknowledging of every good thing which is in you in Christ Jesus. So Paul, to kind of catch everything up to where we're at, Paul has says, I am thanking God when I mention you in my prayers. 
because I have heard of your love and your faith towards him and your love and faith towards others. But Paul doesn't stop there. He says, in addition to that, I am requesting, I am asking God that the communication of your faith be effectual. Basically, what Paul is saying is, I not only have thanked God that I am seeing and hearing of this love and faith coming through you, but I've asked him that the communication of it would be effectual. Basically what Paul is saying, he said, I'm asking God that when this love and this faith comes out of you, that it will work. When this love and faith is being communicated from you towards other people, that it will do its job. And that's another place where we can get in the way of ourselves in a sense. Because a lot of times we may have the work of the Spirit in us that is producing love and faith through us, but what do we do? We get in the way of that love and faith going out from us. We make it to where it is at times not effectual. It's not working properly. So Paul says that he was praying that this showing of faith, this conveying of faith would be effectual. And he tells us how that it can be effectual. By the acknowledging of every good thing which is in you in Christ Jesus. Basically, to put it all in simple terms, Paul is saying here, I am praying that you may have a deeper understanding of the blessings of your union with Christ. Paul says, I want you to understand even more who you are. Again, he says it. By the acknowledging of every good thing which is in you in Christ Jesus. Paul has emphasized this union with Christ. And this is what Paul does over and over and over throughout the New Testament. The book of Colossians, or the book of Corinthians, I'm sorry. We have a group of people who are inundated with all kinds of sexual perversion. They have allowed this to even come into the church. And in 1 Corinthians chapter number 6, Paul tells them that they have been unified with Christ. So these things ought not be. If you go to the book of Romans chapter number 6, There is a group of people who seemingly bring up the question to Paul, well, if the gospel is really this good, then we can do whatever we want, right? Paul basically in the first verse says, guys, you have completely and totally missed the entire point of the gospel if that's what you think. So let me start over. And Paul emphasizes union with Christ. In 1 Corinthians, Paul says it like this. He says, do you not know... That your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost. 
You are in that kind of union with Christ. In the book of Romans, he says you have been unified with Christ. You have been put into his death and you have been raised to new life so that you can walk in the newness of life. And Paul does the exact same thing here with Philemon. He is emphasizing the union that we have with Christ. He says, I want you to be able to dive into all of the good things which are in you in Christ. If you notice, there is no punctuation in that verse. He says, these good things in you are in you because you are in Christ. Everything that Christ is, you are. And Paul did not stutter when he said that. Everything that Philemon was, every good thing, verse number six, every good thing in Philemon was a good thing in Philemon because Philemon was in Christ. And in that same way, every good thing that is in us is only in us because we're in Christ. Paul tells us in Romans chapter number eight that in Christ is love. So if we are in Christ, we have that same love. In Ephesians 1, we have forgiveness. In 2 Corinthians 5, we have reconciliation. In Ephesians 1, we have salvation. In in Romans 8, verse 1, we have no condemnation. In Galatians 2, we have freedom. In Romans 6, we have eternal life. In Philippians 4, we have peace. In 1 Corinthians 1, we have sanctification. In 1 Corinthians 1 and 2 Corinthians 5, we have righteousness. In Ephesians 2, we have an authority. In Ephesians 2, we have new life. In Ephesians 1, we have an inheritance. In Ephesians 6, we have strength. In Philippians 4, we have provision. In Ephesians 1, we have every blessing in ours in Christ. Over and over throughout the New Testament, Paul uses who Christ is to emphasize to us what we have. We have been made into different people. Is that not what he says? If you are in Christ, you are a new creation. Old things are passed away. And we, for some reason, grab hold of that verse and we use it as a club to beat people over the head with when what Paul was saying is you are all the same now. You're all new creatures. He was preaching reconciliation in the verse And in the chapter that he makes that statement, Paul is preaching to Philemon reconciliation. He is telling him, Philemon, you are a different person than you used to be. You are a new person from who you once were. All these good things that I'm hearing about you, that's not coming out of you. All these good things are in you because you're in Christ. And what Paul is doing here by laying this basis of reconciliation is to say to Philemon in the future, Philemon, if God has reconciled you, ought you not reconcile others? And if we are going to have any basis for reconciliation in our own life, we're not going to find that in ourselves. 
when we look at others around us, those who have personally wronged us and those who have wronged others that we know and those who have just been plain stupid. And we think, oh, I'm not going to reconcile that person. I am not going to think well of that person. I'm not going to cross the street to spit on them if they're on fire. That is not the mindset of Christ because that is not how Christ reacted to us. When we were, metaphorically speaking, dead on the side of the road, Christ didn't just walk over to check on us. He raised us to new life and then he adopted us into his family. And if he has done that to a dead enemy, if we have been put into union with him, that ought to be what is seen in us. We have the misconception for some reason. I know why we have it, but we have the misconception that we have to somehow produce all of these things in ourselves and if we're not doing it we're just somehow not good enough or not as good of a Christian as the next guy when our problem is we do not recognize our union with Christ in the book of John chapter number 15 Jesus tells his disciples after saying a few other things about him being the true vine. He says, if you're in me, you will bear fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. If you go out to any vine, there is a union between a vine and its branches. What Christ was telling them in that text that was preaching comfort to them was that that union that he was going to produce would be enough to produce in them. And that is why Paul is emphasizing this union with Christ. Because the only way that we are going to see what should be produced in us. And the only way that those things will be produced in us is as we go deeper and deeper and deeper into the union that we have with Christ. I challenge you. And this is not easy. But I challenge you to do something. Next time that you are tempted to sin. Look to your union with Christ and then try to sin after that. I'm not preaching to you a sinless perfection. I'm, I'm not doing that. We carry with us the habits of our old nature and that is the reason that when we sin, we think to ourselves, why did I do that again? Because we know we have been freed. But we're carrying these habits with us and we will continue to carry these with us until we are freed from this body of death. But that union with Christ is enough. Because the moment that I get frustrated with my children without cause or 
I get frustrated at my children with calls. And I have the tendency or the temptation to lash out when I look to my union with Christ and see what he has done towards me. In me, that will produce something different than a lashing out. And if it does produce a lashing out, then I don't understand it. Or I don't have it. But that's what the scriptures call us to do. And that's what Paul is calling Philemon to do. Is to look at his union with Christ. To understand that every good thing that is in him is in him because of Christ. And he tells him, I am praying that you see these things because that is what will make the communication of your faith effectual. The basis of any reconciliation in our life is found in God's reconciliation with us. And that's what Paul emphasizes here. In verse number seven, he says, For we have great joy and consolation in thy love, because the bowels of the saints are refreshed by thee, brother. You see what Paul does there? Almost subtly, he says, The people around you are being refreshed. By your love. And then who does he call Philemon? He says, brother. So he says, just like I'm in union with Christ, you, my brother, are in union with Christ as well. And I can prove it to you because everybody around you is being refreshed by Christ coming through you. By what Christ is producing in you, those things are refreshing those around you. So Paul does this as a basis of reconciliation, as the ground floor for what Paul is getting ready to ask of Philemon. He says, my prayer is a prayer of thankfulness that I see Christ being produced in you. My prayer is a prayer that you will continue to look at Christ so that the communication of this faith is even more effectual. Then again, he says, I am grateful because at this point in time, this in you is effectual. It's working because those around you are being refreshed by it. What Christ is doing in you, Philemon, is helping other people. And what Paul will continue down through here to ask is that Philemon bestow that love and faith, not just corporately, but that he'll do it individually. Let's pray.